Support. Support. Support for this podcast is brought to you by the The Kellogg Innovation Entrepreneurship Initiative. Think bravely. Think differently. Think collaboratively. We think it's climate change and, and, and other sustainability problems with the way that we're living on the planet. And what's the solution? Uh, we, have to, we have to reduce uh, CO2 emissions, but we also have to solve other problems related to environmental sustainability. Hello, you're listening to My Startup Journey, a show that highlights the business and individual stories of innovators, educators, and Kellogg students. Our guest is Paul Seidler from the Clean Energy Trust. My name is Nariki Harai, the host of My Startup Journey. In the last episode, we spoke with Lance Lee about his perspective as an entrepreneur seeking investors. In this episode titled Elevate Your Pitch, we will explore the other side. What do investors look for in startups? This episode's guest is Paul Seidler, the Director of Venture Development at the Clean Energy Trust, a 501 VC in the clean energy industry and the nonprofit that organizes the Clean Tech University Prize. Paul shares his knowledge in the energy industry and venture capital to help you create a more effective pitch. And we begin with the Co-Invest Clean Tech event on May 23rd, 2018 here in Chicago with a special discount to students. This is a new name that we gave uh, to, to this event and, and, and Co is, is really the critical thing. When we're talking about Co-Invest, we're not only talking about investing dollars, we're talking about investing all sorts of resources and it's really about bringing the community together. This event will be on May 23rd in Chicago and at this event we'll roll out our newest portfolio companies, we'll get them ready with uh, some killer pitches and we'll try to attract a lot of investors to come to the event and, and uh, we're trying to say to the investors, hey we've done the hard work, here are a few of the, the best new clean tech startups in the Midwest. Uh, we've made our investments and we would love to have you come on board and, and help uh, push things forward. Um, it's also uh, Co-Invest Clean Tech in addition to sort of like a demo day showcase event, it's also a thought leadership event. We're gonna have uh, a few uh, keynote speakers and, and, and panels uh, some from some really exciting people from all over the country that are gonna be coming in. Um, it's, a, it's a great event, lots of uh, corporate sponsors, investors, um, our board, our portfolio companies. Um, it'll be about 300 people and uh, a, a really fun, exciting, inspiring event. Can you talk about where you grew up, um, where you went to school, um, and just kind of your, your childhood? I grew up in the north suburbs, Highland Park, um, <clears throat> Highland Park, Illinois. Uh, I am one of four siblings, um, number two. I had an older brother, younger brother, and then uh, the last one was our little baby sister, Emily. Uh, it's uh, definitely fun childhood. It was a busy household. Um, we, uh, we were all pretty tight, and uh, my siblings are now spread all over the country, um, but I stayed here in Chicago. Uh, other than undergrad, I went to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, spent four years there before coming back to Chicago. Um, coming back 
here I, I worked in consumer insights and market research for seven years. Um, it was a great company, great place to work. After a while, I, I kind of lost interest in in that sector um, and uh, <clears throat> decided to go back to get my MBA and figure out what my next move was going to be. Uh, <clears throat> I went to uh, University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Um, and while there, I fell in love with two things, entrepreneurship and energy. Uh, at the time, they offered two energy classes. I, I took them both. I learned the difference between a kilowatt and a kilowatt hour, and there is no looking back from there. I said I have to get involved with, with the energy industry and, uh, and entrepreneurship. And, and uh, I, I had to work pretty hard to transition my career, but uh, I was able to do so successfully after after my MBA, I went and ran uh, business development for an advanced materials startup up in uh, Evanston and Skokie. Did that for a few years before uh, getting this opportunity to uh, be the director of venture development at Clean Energy Trust. And what I like about just your your personality is that there's an artistic side and there's also definitely an analytical side to you. Where does that, where does, do you know where that comes from? Does it come from any of your parents? Or? Um, th uh, I appreciate that you noticed that, and I would agree that I am the sort of left brain, right brain person. I don't know yeah. exactly where it comes from. Uh, my, 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 my father's an attorney. Uh, my mother uh, recently retired, recently retired marketing um, consultant, and um, uh, <clears throat> I would say they're both kind of left brain, right brained as well. It's not like one of them is clearly the analytical person, the other one is artistic. Right. Um, but I've always enjoyed art and creativity, and I think it's a, it's an extension of who I am. It helps me think through problems. Um, I went through a period as an, as an artist where I was making uh, paintings on the side and doing art shows while I was working as a market research um, analyst. Um, and I would try to sell my paintings at art shows on the weekends. It was just a fun hobby. It was very therapeutic. Recently, I've transitioned. I've been doing uh, woodworking as, as a hobby. I bought a couple of power tools, and I started making things out of wood. It's just a, I, I always need some sort of creative outlet. Um, but at the same time, uh, I've, I've studied uh, uh, my educational background. I studied economics and, and business. Um, so I certainly have an appreciation for uh, um, the analytical side of things. After um, a couple of ventures, you came in to Clean Energy Trust. Uh, yeah, so I've, I've been here for about three and a half years. The organization was founded in 2010. Um, clean Energy Trust is a nonprofit with a mission to support uh, clean tech innovation and entrepreneurship in the Midwest. Uh, the organization was founded by uh, Michael Polsky, who's the founder and CEO of Invenergy, the large renewables uh, developer based here in Chicago, and also co-founded by Nick Pritzker. Um, they continue to serve as co-chairman of our board of directors. Um, we have a pretty broad perspective of what clean tech is. It's not just uh, electricity or, or the energy industry. We're looking at any sort of innovation that supports sustainability really. Um, so we look at water, um, we're, we're starting to do more, get, get more interested in ag tech and s sustainable agriculture, um, mobility. Yeah. We're seeing the convergence of 
the energy industry with lots of other industries like the built environment, so IoT, built environment, smart cities, mobility. Um, we're interested in all these things. Um, our, you know, the, the vision is really to, to create solutions that enable a more sustainable planet. Clean Energy Trust has, we, we have a unique business model. Um, we're not quite an incubator, we're not quite an accelerator. Uh, we make direct investments in startups. Our, our perspective is really that we want to support innovation that has the potential to scale. If it does not have the potential to scale, then it doesn't have the potential to make a real impact on fighting climate change and fostering a transition into a sustainable world. Um, we think that innovation and technology and, and new businesses need to be able to earn a return for investors, save money for customers. So there has to be that those, those fundamentals in place yeah. Um, in order to succeed and make a real impact. So, understanding that perspective, we come at it kind of like the way venture capitalists come at the way they make investments, but we're doing it within the framework of a nonprofit. So, our investment fund is, uh, our, our current investment fund is a, is a revolving evergreen fund. It is capitalized through contributions from sponsors and, and donors. Uh, we don't have any LPs in this fund. The, the money is, is essentially being donated, and then we're going out and investing it. Uh, it's a revolving evergreen fund, so uh, future returns just get uh, recycled back into the fund and then invested in future entrepreneurs. You know, I think you, you, you bring up a good point, because there's a social aspect to energy that people don't commonly see. Um, because you know a lot of it's run by the utilities, but can you talk about the social responsibility aspect of energy? Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, ultimately, let's yeah let's take a step back and say what what's the big picture problem here? And we think it's climate change and 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 other um, sustainability problems with the way that we're living on the planet. And uh, what's the what's the solution? Uh, we have to we have to reduce. Uh, the CO2 emissions, but we also have to um, solve other problems related to environmental sustainability. Um, so there's absolutely a social aspect to this. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to save the planet, really, um, in, in certain ways, and, and we are one very, very small piece of this. There's lots of different ways to um, address sustainability issues uh, through um, uh, environmental advocacy and policy, um, and uh, we're, we're coming up from the perspective of uh, supporting innovation. The reason we think our structure as a nonprofit makes sense is because we recognize the ch specific challenges in commercializing clean tech innovation, especially when it comes to hardware and, and, and these physical um, products that are uh, derived from laboratory intellectual property. Those are really the hardest things to commercialize. We're talking about advanced materials, uh, batteries, and, and other hardware systems. Uh, so the challenge is that there's, there's a, for, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money. We know that there are other challenges too in the dynamics of the energy industry. And what we've seen is that there was a, uh, um, 
a wave of venture capital investment uh, in 2006 through about 2010, where a lot of money was invested and a lot of money was lost. About $25 billion was lost. Um, these were investments mostly going into things like solar panels and um, biofuels, things that require a lot of capital to commercialize, building large factories in order to scale up these technologies. And they seem to be promising, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's really hard thing to do, and, and it's probably not an appropriate use of venture capital. Um, the, the, the results of uh, these investments not going well then, of course, caused the VCs to move away from clean tech and uh, retreat back to tech and pharma and other sectors, which have performed pretty well overall. Um, <clears throat> so we understand that. We don't, we don't blame VCs for moving away um, after what happened. So we are, uh, we're looking for ways to solve that problem and, and we're coming up with new uh, innovative financing models uh, like the one that we operate today and we're also uh, working on a new model. Um, we understand the data. My colleague, Dr. Ben Gaddy, published um, an academic paper about a year and a half ago that looked at all the Series A investments into clean tech in, in this country uh, during the, the clean tech 1.0 uh, wave of investments and, and we understand the data, we see the, uh, the failure rate that occurred and then the result being that the venture capital fled, moved away. Uh, energy and technology isn't something that a lot of people think about, but it's actually changing really fast and there's a lot of great ideas out there, right? A lot of great ideas out there, a lot of things being developed, but it's really hard to get these things into market. If you're selling to mm -hmm. the utility especially, it's it's really hard. The way utility models work, it's not um, a traditional uh, competitive market. It's it's a it's a natural monopoly and uh, operating in a regulated market. Utilities make money by making investments in infrastructure and they are risk averse. Um, and it takes a long time to to sell hardware technology to a utility. Very hard, very long time and, and very hard to do. Having said that, utilities are under new pressure, um, competitive pressure. So it's they're uh, they're operating in a, in a natural regu natural monopoly that is regulated in terms of the grid. But now we're seeing all these new distributed energy resources like rooftop solar that's disrupting their business model and they need to figure out ways to to deal with that and sort of start now to compete with the um, unregulated players in the market. Mm -hmm. okay. I want to bring back a point that, that you brought up earlier which is these ideas integrating with a utility infrastructure or regulatory environment. How do you coach you know, an, uh, an entrepreneur on how to deal with that? Yeah, um, well, I would say be patient, <laughs> um, but at the same time, you gotta have a lot of irons in the fire, so you wanna be talking to all the utilities. Um, you know, depending on what it is, usually a lot of utilities don't wanna be first, but they're, 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 they might be okay with being second. So they don't compete with each other, um, so if, they might wait and see if one of them does it, and if they do, they might then start to feel more comfortable with it. So you gotta have a lot of irons in the fire. You have to have that first uh, 
try to find that first utility customer who's going to buy in. Now, uh, oftentimes, you know, it's uh, it's a process. It's not just a sales process, but it's um, a testing process, uh, an approval process. So you, you might have to run a pilot or multiple pilots. Unfortunately, there's a saying that says that utilities is where pilots go to die. So like utilities love to run pilots, but then yeah. are they going to actually adopt the solution after a successful pilot? It's not always the case. Um, so you want to have internal champions, that's critical. You want to be talking to the right people. Um, that's going to be the case with any large corporate, really, but especially true with, with utilities. Um, and, and you really need to push that internal champion to make a commitment. Um, if it's a software, you know, there are opportunities to give a taste for free kind of thing without much cost and say, hey, let, let's, let's run a small pilot with a, uh, a, a slice of your customer base and no charge, see how it goes. But if you're going to do that, I, I really think you still need to have some sort of agreement in place that says if it goes well, this is, you know, the, the potential purchase order or licensing agreement on the other end. And when we return, Paul shares his pitch framework. You are listening to My Startup Journey. My name is Elizabeth Dunlap from Minnesota. And my name is Priyam Jyoti from Chicago. We're both weekend students in our fourth quarter at Kellogg. Today, we're playing Two Friends Are Better Than None, where two Kellogg friends work together to answer NBA trivia questions. In the realm of U.S. four major sports, which championship team has a Kellogg graduate as its general manager? A. Houston Astros, B. Golden State Warriors, C. Philadelphia Eagles, and D. Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I'm going to go off of the fact that Northwestern isn't a great sports team, so we're not that great for our person to be there. But, I mean, if we were doing marketing, we'd be great. How about Houston Astros? Yes! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Northwestern School of Commerce, which opened in 1908, is credited as the original version of the Kellogg School of Management. What type of program was it? A, full-time, B, PhD, C, part-time, D, executive. I feel like it was executive. I could go with executive. Is it executive? It's actually part-time. Oh. oh. Which is kind of funny. I would funny. not have guessed that. Who would have thought, right? So it's part-time. My name is Elizabeth. And my name is Priyam. We, we just, just played Two, two Friends Are Better Than, than None. none. Earlier, we learned about the challenges of the current energy industry. Now, Paul explains Clean Energy Trust's role in developing startup ideas to address those challenges. A, a pitch is super important. When you're making a first pitch to investors, whether it's closed doors or um, in some sort of larger public forum with an audience, that first pitch is, is critical. Um, I don't care if it's a three-minute pitch, or a 10 minute pitch, it's, it's critical and you really need to be prepared. And one thing to understand is that the goal of that first pitch is not to try to explain everything about your company in a limited amount of time. The goal of that first pitch is to just get the next meeting, 
right? So how do you do that? I think that the key, uh, there are a few keys, but first uh, it's important to think about your script, your narrative, what you're gonna say, and the slides that you're gonna show to support that. The slides should not mirror what you're saying. The slides should complement what you're saying. You don't wanna throw a bunch of slides up there with a bunch of text and bullets and paragraphs and, and, and deep analysis. No, you gotta keep it clean. You gotta keep it simple. You have to control the message. You want the audience to have a visual cue that helps them understand what you are saying to them. So when we go through the pitch process with our portfolio companies, get them ready, um, the first thing we do is we take their existing pitch and we crumble it up and we throw it in the garbage, tear it up. <laughs> Maybe we throw, throw some gas on it and light a fire. Um, no, that would be bad emissions. We don't do that. Um, we just shred it. Um, the reason we do that is because almost every pitch we see is what's called a Frankenstein pitch. They have uh, a three-minute pitch, a 10-minute pitch. They have a customer pitch, an investor pitch. And every time they have a new pitch, what they do is they take slides from their different decks and they stitch it together and they say, okay, this is the pitch for that event. And, and that's a Frankenstein pitch because it's just a bunch of different things from different places stitched together. So that's no good. We throw that away, we start fresh. And the first question you have to answer as, as an entrepreneur making a pitch is what kind of pitch is this? You have to pick a lane, okay? There are four different types of pitches. The first three types are the three T's. There's a uh, technology pitch, attraction pitch, or a team pitch. Are you one of those three? So what do those mean? A technology pitch means, okay, I am pitching intellectual property that is so killer and going to change the world that, that that's what I'm pitching. Yes, it's important to have a good team and understand the market and all that, but this is going to be a technology pitch. Or do you have a team pitch? Uh, the team pitch is, uh, We've done this two or three times in the past. Serial entrepreneurs, we, we have successful exit. Uh, we know what we're doing. Just you know, give us our money and we're gonna do a great job and we're gonna, we're gonna bring you back some serious returns. Um, third T is uh, the traction pitch. Traction pitch is typically more with like these consumer tech software companies that go through Y Combinator and, and Techstars and stuff where they're tracking their active users and they're showing you, hey, I got 10% growth week on week. You better get on board before the train leaves the station. Um, no, we don't know how we're going to make money, um, you know, but we've got, we're, we've got a major uh, um, uh, base of active users and we're building on that really fast. Okay, so are you any of those three? If not, then you default to the fourth type of pitch, which is a vision pitch. A vision pitch is this dawned on me, you know, this huge opportunity or how to solve this problem came to me when I was taking a shower and now I know exactly what to do. Here's my vision. I'm really passionate about it. And, and the goal of the vision pitch is to really tell your story and get buy-in and instill that FOMO in investors that uh, they're gonna miss out on the next big thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so once you've decided which of those four types of pitches you are, you gotta keep that in mind and think, this, this is what I'm honing in on throughout my entire pitch. Okay, so the next thing you do is you take, you, you got to storyboard your pitch. You take a bunch of sheets of white paper and uh, a black marker, 
and you storyboard it. This is the story that I want to tell start to finish for my eight minute pitch, whether it's a technology pitch or team pitch or whatever. And you write what is the key message that you are trying to convey for each slide. Don't worry about charts and all the visual bells and whistles. Just focus on the story start to finish. Once you have that story, that narrative woven together in a way that makes sense, then you start to fill it in with the visuals and, and, and the support and you really start to script it out. Um, the last element that, that we like to, to, uh, to instill in our, in our portfolio companies when we're pitch coaching them is that when you make a pitch to an investor or an audience, at best, they will only remember three things about your pitch. They're not going to remember everything. And remember, the goal, the goal is to get the next meeting. Mm -hmm. it, it's not for them to necessarily remember everything you tell them. At best, though, they will remember three things. So what three things do you want them to remember about your company? Obviously, if you're doing a technology pitch, at least one, if not two of those things, has to be something about the technology. Um, but ultimately, like you need to think, what are the three things that set your company apart that you want to make sure that's what they take away? So it doesn't mean you get up there and the first slide is, here are the three things I want you to remember. I mean, you could do that, but another approach is to sort of like hammer home those three things at multiple points in, in the pitch. And uh, you want to you control that. Um, if you don't think about that, then what will happen is that you don't know what those three things are that people are going to remember. And, it, and if you're pitching to an audience, then everyone in the audience might remember three different things. Mm -hmm. So you want everyone in the audience to remember the same three things, that, and they're the three things that are the most valuable. Um, and the reason why investors are going to say, hey, send me an email, let's set another meeting. Just hearing how you explain that, I can kind of see the artist in you. And in storytelling, three is a very popular way of structuring and repeating patterns. Yeah, absolutely. That what makes is, sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any insights in, into that, but, but it is so funny how you hear three as a, as a way to organize stories. That makes sense. I can't, I, I, I don't, I can't explain that right now, but I'm going to be thinking about yeah. that now as I, you know, when I, when I see things like not within a pitch, but other stories and, uh, that does make sense. What about the execution side then? Because I'm sure you've met a few of those people along, along the way who think, oh, I have this great idea. It's going to make a million dollars instantly. How do you get them to switch into, oh, wait, I, I need to be a salesperson now and I need to, to, to sell this idea? Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's, um, that is critical. Um, execution is, is tough. Um, Obviously, there are those who have done it, but you're not always going to get entrepreneurs that have done it before. Usually, you're not. Um, and you want to look for someone who is thinking, not just thinking strategically, but setting goals and milestones. And so you want to see an entrepreneur that, has, that says, here are my Q1 goals, here are my Q2 goals. And why are they your goals? Because those are the, those are the things, three or four or five things uh, whether they're quarterly goals or annual goals, that if achieved, will definitively create value in your company. So when you go out to raise a seed round or an A round, what are you raising the money for? What are you going to use it for? How how is how is the what you're going to do cr going to create value that will 
allow your company to continue to grow. So if you raise a $3 million Series A round, that has to be money that is going to allow you to achieve certain milestones that will create more value to justify a higher valuation for the B round. Um, and, and investors uh, for the subsequent round, if you want them to uh, invest at a higher price point, then you need to have achieved things that you can definitively say uh, created value in your company. And, and I feel like, especially if it's not defined yet, that that broadness allows for a lot of flexibility. Um, it does, it yeah, does. I mean, right. but we, there has to be impact. There has to be potential for impact. And we're, and we're gonna look at, we look at yeah. that with our, with our companies. And, it, and it, impact, measuring impact is a big challenge. It's something we talk about a lot. Uh, sometimes it's, it's easy with uh, a solar company and you know, the number of uh, kilowatts installed and offsetting CO2 emissions, but, um, uh, or energy efficiency, it's easier to, to measure. Some of the things are a little bit tougher with uh, you know, wastewater treatment uh, technologies and um, uh, increasing uh, agricultural efficiency in terms of yield and, and reduction of, uh, of chemical fertilizers that are being used and to, to minimize, you know, we're look, looking for ways to minimize uh, runoff into water streams from agriculture. So it is harder to measure certain types of impact, but we do take it very seriously in terms of understanding what is the impact or potential impact of a company that we're that we're looking at. Can you talk about some of the companies that personally excite you that are in your portfolio? Absolutely. How much time do you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> let's start with uh, technology. So Numat. Numat is a uh, Northwestern spin-out. It's an advanced materials company specifically developing uh, metal organic frameworks, which were uh, uh, a class of metal organic frameworks that were developed at Northwestern. Um, and it's a material used for industrial gas storage and separation. Um, what's incredible about this material is that it can hold large volumes of gas at near liquid density, but at atmospheric pressure. So you don't have to compress the gas into a cylinder, which takes a lot of energy. You can store large volumes under no pressure where uh, the gas molecules are absorbing onto the material, which is an extremely porous, extremely high surface area material. Much better way to communicate this is to say that it's like an atomic sponge. Um, so would that be for natural gas storage? There, yeah, yes, it could be for any gas storage, really. But they're focusing more on higher value uh, applications initially. Um, but uh, they've they've come a long way. They came through our student competition in 2012, I believe. They they won. They went on to the national competition. They won that. Since then, we've invested more in Numat. Uh, they're they they were the first startup to commercialize a metal organic framework product, which they did just last year. It was written up in cranes. They are now starting to generate real revenues um, after spending the last five years commercializing this laboratory material. And, and I've, I've been down that road. It is one of the hardest, I think, the hardest thing to commercialize is a new advanced material. Because a new advanced material, no matter how incredible it is, what, what its capabilities are in the lab, a new material is worth precisely zero 
until it is integrated into some sort of system and in a way that it creates value. Um, another company I'm excited about is Igor out of Des Moines, Iowa. They've developed a smart connected lighting platform that is based on power over ethernet technology. So the idea is forget the copper wiring that goes to your LED lights. Um, you can put in an LED lighting platform, uh, light, LED lighting system in a commercial building that is wired with Cat5 or Cat6 ethernet cable that carries sufficient voltage, very low voltage, to power the lights and at the same time control them. The benefit is extreme energy efficiency, lower cost to install, and unprecedented control with the amount of data that's being carried through these the, the, the CAD5 cable. So this is really a hardware software company. The way they're coming at it is they don't want to be the ones manufacturing the hardware. They've signed licensing agreements with multiple tier one, tier two uh, lighting OEMs to manufacture Igor-enabled lighting fixtures. And then they've developed a software control platform that the customer then licenses to control the system. So they're just getting the market now. They're uh, really starting to ramp up sales and I'm excited about their future potential. How has the MBA helped you in your career at CET? Um, I mean, MBAs are, are interesting. It's helped me a lot. I would say though, like we have to acknowledge that Getting an MBA does not make you an expert in anything, including business, all right? An MBA is a great way to start to develop frameworks for how to think about things, how to address, how to approach things. Um, and it really did kind of change my, the way my, my head works, the way I approach things, the way I think through challenges um, in sort of a more analytical way, um, considering the big picture, um, and it's interesting with venture investing though is you, you you can try to be as structured and systematic as as, as possible but ultimately um, it's just as much an art as it is a science um, so we do our diligence we we create in-depth investment memos which we bring to our investment committee um, to make when we make our investments but there's also you know what's your gut feeling about this what is there something that's in the back of your head where you're having trouble sleeping at night that you just can't put your finger on, you know, and, and so there there is that element too to venture investing. Um, I would say that though, that comes with experience. That's not something you get uh, when you're getting your MBA. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is a visionary statement from, from Paul, the next question is, where do, you see, where do you see yourself in 20 years? And how do you know that like, you've done a great job that, that you're, you know, you're satisfied. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I have no idea where I am in 20 years. Um, I can't even think about that. Um, and I think wherever it is, I mean, it'll be because what I'm doing today is exciting. It, it, it excites me. It's something I'm proud of. And I'm, so I'm not really thinking about 20 years. I'm not really even thinking about, you know, two or three years. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on what I'm currently doing here. Um, it's it's inspiring. It's exciting. It's something that when I wake up in the morning, I'm 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 proud. I, it's something that I can you know tell my two little kids about what I do and 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 feel good about it. And I hope that in 20 years, whatever I'm doing, that's certainly still the case. Thank you.
And one final note, the Clean Energy Trust partners with Northwestern during the school year through Newvention, the Institute of Sustainability and Energy at Northwestern, and Kellogg. If you want to find out more about the organization or the Co-Invest Cleantech event on May 23rd, go to cleanenergytrust.org. Once again, thanks to Paul Seidler for helping us with this episode. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Google Play or iTunes. Thanks for listening. And until next time, this is Nariki Harai from My Startup Journey.